Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt. How are you doing today, Matt? Apparently, I'm stupendous. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I try to put positive vibes out there when I can. And... I, I did not under- expect him. My, he just came in and it was like, oh my god, <laughs> Matthew Rossi. He's stupendous. I mean, I think that's an accurate statement. Well, speaking of accuracy, we are going to have none of that today because most of everything is going to be wild speculation because that's how what you guys basically come here for, right? But we're going to be answering your questions. Uh, Most of this is probably going to be in spoiler territory, so kind of keep that in mind. We're still fresh into an expansion. Uh, Folks who have chosen one covenant don't necessarily know the story of other covenants, Uh, so there may be some spoilers here uh, just to kind of be forewarned but that said if you do have questions for this show or the other you can reach out to us we do have an email where you can send those in which is podcast at blizzardwatch.com again singular podcast at blizzardwatch.com or you can go ahead over to our discord where we do have two separate channels set aside one for our patreon subscribers as a way of giving more attention to their questions and saying thank you for continuing to support us. Uh, And for those of you that can't, we know times are tough. Uh, There is another channel for Q and podcast questions for non-patrons, which we do look into as well when we we need to. Uh, So we're going to be answering those questions today going forward. And we're going to start with one from Dumagar, who is a shaman from Ragnaros. Greetings, watchers. Uh, Wired thought, we know from the comics that Varian Rin's body was split in two. It could be safe to assume his soul was split too, meaning his soul could have learned how to stitch itself back together after the two Varians were united again. Given that his death was splitting his soul in many pieces using fell magic, could it be possible that Varian soul fragments are lingering in Mardum, trying to find themselves so that they can uh, be some sort of Varian again? I would not want uh, one of the mightiest kings of the Alliance to have a story where he ends up being a demon or a raid boss, but it resonates to me that he could have gone to Mardum rather than any place in the Shadowlands. Thanks for all you guys do, and please say hi to Anne. Uh, I will pass along your hello to Anne. Uh, She does listen to the show. I know that for a fact because she cackles. Uh, Sometimes I will just get a cackle message, so consider that your hello to Anne. Uh, Also, I don't know where you're getting Mardum from because Mardum was the prison for the uh, demons. Yeah, he's saying that with the fell energy having split him apart, maybe his soul ended up in the, the demon prison. The thing is, is that his assumption that his death was by splitting his soul into many pieces. Citation, please. Fact, not in evidence. Uh, his death was by the fell, but we don't know that it split his soul into many pieces. We actually that, don't. We don't even know would, what the effect of fell is on a soul at this point. Besides, yeah, we know that s- souls are used in the production of fell. There's soul engines that that essentially burn souls to create fell, but we don't know what happens to your soul when somebody uses a massive infusion of fell energy to essentially blow your body up. Um, his soul might have just straight up passed into the Shadowlands just fine, uh, or it might have been consumed utterly. I there's, there's nothing that has said any of anything. There's nothing in the game, no canon anywhere, that says Varian Rin's soul X. Like mm-hmm. There's nothing after he died. We don't know. The- um, if it, if at some point you know you're running around Maldraxxus and and a giant wolf riding Varian Rin shows up, there's your answer. But until such time as that occurs, we have no idea. Yeah, and that's the other thing too is is there's been no mention of it here either, which is sort of like an interesting thing because you would figure that it would be a topic, but also at this point in the story, at least in my part of the campaign. We haven't sprung Anduin yet, so I don't know if that's something that might continue after that, and it seems like something that might be 
uh, a thing that Anduin tries to look into after he's freed from the Maw. Because again, mild spoilers, you are a Maw Walker, and part of your task in the ongoing campaign, at least at the beginning of this expansion, is going into Torghast and getting our getting your friends out, getting uh, even if they're not your friends, getting the major lore figures out. Like so far, I've gotten Bane out and I've gotten Jaina out, which I believe are the first two for everybody. So there is a possibility that after we spring Anduin and after he gets his head right, after everything that's happened to him, that maybe he starts asking that question because I'm confident that now we're in the land of the the un or living or death or whatever we want to call it, land of the dead. You know, now that we're there. I can't imagine that he wouldn't start considering what happened to his father, especially considering how many times throughout the last two expansions he's spent basically monologuing, like, what would you do, Dad? Where, where, What lesson would you teach me? What, what would you do in this place? And then trying to emulate his dad. I can't see that not becoming a thing. Now, as far as him winding up like a demon or a raid boss or something like that, maybe? But again, like we said, we don't know what happens to a soul that's been consumed or corrupted by Fel. Don't forget, like, Vol'jin was stabbed and poisoned by Fel. He wasn't completely obliterated, but he was poisoned by the Fel and died from that wound that he, you know, suffered because of that. And even he was able to come back, and now he's basically a Loa. Uh, so if he could survive that there is absolutely the precedent and possibility of Varian having that ability to maybe su survive what happened to him soul-wise, but nothing has been said about it. There's not even been any hints about it that I can see anywhere in the game. I just know he's not in Maldraxxus because he's not in charge of Maldraxxus. And he would be in charge of Maldraxxus, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, this is a dude who went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Garage scream and kicked his butt. I oh, mean, yeah. Varian won that fight. A falling... Uh, what do you call this? Giant uh, centaur mammoth people? I can't remember what you call them, but the, the magnetors. Mm -hmm. uh, a giant magnetor corpse is the only thing that kept him from just, you know, rocking house on, on Garage. So that always makes me want to... I wish we'd gotten the Thrall variant fight we never got. Because yeah. Thrall, Thrall couldn't beat Garage without, you know, using the elements, so he probably couldn't have handled Varian. See, and I kind of always would have rather have had a Garage variant fight. I think that would have been better. Well, we did have a garage variant. Yeah, fight. it didn't really count. It wasn't really I mean, a full fight. Yeah, it was. He was, he was losing it, so yeah, it counted. Uh, but but regardless, uh, I certainly think garage and Varian getting to go toe to toe all the way to the at the bitter wire would have been a good thing, even if Garrosh had won it, just because it was a story thing that I think we really would have liked to have seen. But we didn't get to see it. So, but at any rate, yeah, no no idea what's up with Varian. No idea where he is. Um, yeah, we don't know the state of his soul when he died. We know that it, what he, what um, Gul'dan did killed him. That we know. And it didn't just kill him. It really rather spectacularly killed him. But we don't know, like, there's nothing in the game about the state of his soul afterward. Yeah, and uh, to that effect, there really hasn't been a whole lot of discussion of anything involving anything Fel-related at all so far this expansion either. Like, there's been Void, there's been Light, there's been a lot of that going around. Uh, going back to that sort of, like, original conflict, I guess, between the, the cosmic forces, but nothing involving fell in the Shadowlands. Like, so who knows? Uh, we might get more of that too, especially as the story. Well, like, if, when, when you go to Maldraxxus, there are like a couple of demons in that prison pit, that fighting pit area thing. Yeah, there is, but that's basically it. Uh, I don't, they don't say they just, I don't 
basically you know that the uh, brokers are sending people into other parts of the universe to kidnap really powerful things to fight in the arena. So, yeah, that's there's a demon in the arena, but that's basically all you got. Yeah. So, not really a definitive answer. I understand that it might not be what you were looking for, but it's something that I think we'll find out in due time. Um, our next question comes from our, I think it was Tetsemi. Um, this is a two-parter. Oh, no, this is from Easy Target. Excuse me. This is a two-parter. Part one is going to be Lore Watch here. The second one is probably something that we can work into Tuesday show. It seems a little more appropriate for that. So Easy Target, uh, your part one question. Hi, guys. Right to it. I know that we do not know the event that triggered the Arbiter going silent, uh, but I have an idea. And, of course, we did at least... Uh, or the, and, ugh. Wow, I can't talk today. Sorry, folks. And, of course, we did it. At least our Frost Death Knights did unintentionally. I remember Matt saying he would have gone through ICC with a magnifying glass and tweezers to collect fragments of Frostborn. Well, our DKs did, and we kind of did reforge that Rune Blade into two new ones. At the end of the expansion, we used our artifact powers to drain the bad energy out of Sargeras' pointy stick. Frostborn did split Uther off. Maybe we split off a bit of Sargeras? Um, I'll let you handle that one, Matt, at first. I'm not really sure exactly what you're implying. Um, if you're saying that the reforging of Frostmourne into two blades still meant it, it was still Frostmourne and thus still drawing on the power of the Maw, that's possible. Uh, we never really did get into exactly what was empowering the new Rune Blades. It's entirely possible they were, in fact, still drawing on the power of the Maw. Um, I don't think this is it, just because I don't think it's... I don't think we're going to get a hearken to that. I, I think... It's going to basically be much more. It's much more likely to be related to stuff that we've, we're getting in this expansion. Stuff that we've probably already seen uh, some hints as to what it was in that the uh, Castle Nathria raid and what Denathrius has been up to. And the fact that I will point out um, this is mild spoilers, but uh, I feel at this point it's been out for a few days. When you when you defeat Denathrius, you don't kill him. Uh, Denathrius gets trapped in his own sword. And the sword is basically very vocal. It's a it's a it's a weapon with a personality. It has a mind, and it's very up for front with it. It grabs Denathrius's essence to save him, and it they they trap it inside the light from the Naru that's trapped in Revendreth. Uh, Prince, I can't. I want to call him Prince Tartheldron. I know that's not his name. Uh, I can't remember the name of the the prince, but he basically uh, they trap Denathrius inside the sword within Renathal. the light of the Naru. Renathal, thank you. Yep. Um, and that's all well and good, but it's pretty obvious we're going to see Denathrius again, this expansion. Mm -hmm. And I think we're, we've already seen hints inside Revendreth that he was involved in whatever happened to the Arbiter. And I think it definitely draws upon the light from that Naru that was being, you know, used as a weapon system. So, but I think we'll see more. I don't, but I don't think it's going to be something like we did it. Our frost death knights did it. You know, I just don't think they're going to harken back to expansions to explain this. Um, maybe they will. I could be wrong. Uh, but I just feel like they're, they're, the story is going to be as self-contained as possible. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I mean, I've been wrong before. It's not, not going to surprise me, but I don't think it's frost more. No. Yeah. And I tend to agree. I don't think, I don't think the arbiter, going silent has anything to do with anything we did as mortals. Uh, I know I say a lot that we cause a lot of our own problems, and I, I stand by that statement. We as adventurers tend to 
pretty well muck things up a little bit. Uh, but in this particular case, I don't think it was us or anything that we did in particular. Um, theories have been wildly speculated for a very long time, ever since the statement that the machinery of death is broken, uh, of whether it was us killing Argus, whether it was the piece of Sargeras being sheared off with that weapon being there, if it was a piece of him at all, uh, with Azeroth being wounded the way it was. Some people have actually speculated that it had to do with the death of Yasharaj, uh, and how that affected things. Uh, and all of these are possibilities of what could have helped contribute to the breakdown of it. But I think Matt's right. And I think the vast majority of, of this expansion is going to be self-contained uh, with certain caveats like Alun and the Naru uh, and that whole thing. I think we're going to get a little bit more about that, this expansion, but also because we haven't really had an expansion about them. We haven't had an expansion that's really truly explored the Naru and the light in any real way and hasn't really explored uh, explored Elun in in the same type of way that we did anything with the old gods as far as last expansion goes uh, or even some of the other things like with the void and and everything else so I think we'll get more of that but honestly yeah I think most of this is going to be self-contained uh, we'll learn more about the origins we'll learn more about uh, what happened, but I think Matt's right. I think maybe we're going to find out something more from Sardanathrius later, uh, because if he's just trapped in a sword, that's because he's going to come back later. We haven't we haven't done we haven't finished the job, so to speak. And that's usually a uh, a recipe for a villainous comeback of some sort, uh, just sort of par for the. But yeah, I, I I don't know what else to say about that. Um, but for the other part of that, or the last part of it though, uh, easy target. Thank you very much for your sentiments as well. Um, I will also toss a biscuit to my dog. Thank you. <laughs> um, our next set of questions come from I am Luluna. Uh, it's a night elf hunter from the Wildhammer on EU. I have returned to WoW after a year of pause. BFA just didn't do it for me. And so far, I love the storyline of the game. All this Horde versus Alliance thing is too dated. For me. I have a f couple questions for you. One, how come I, a mere mortal, managed to be more powerful than the, than most beings in Afterlife? Is this somehow related to the first ones? Uh, I guess we'll do them at uh, one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, the real answer is plot. Uh, we have a certain amount of plot power going for us. Also, why would most beings in the afterlife be more powerful than you? They were mere mortals, then they died. The vast majority of things in the afterlife were like farmers and, you know, people. They weren't like cosmic powers. They were just people. They Like, when you go to the Shadowlands, you are running into... First off, you're just going to four of the, of the many, many realms of death. Just four of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Maw, the Maw counts as one, so that's five. But the vast majority of people are on some other Shadowland. Like, we know that the Brokers come from some other Shadowland. There are other Shadowlands. There were the vast majority of people went to one of those instead. You're just going to the ones that perf that perform a role that needs to be investigated. The reason you go to Bastion is because we saw Kyrian in the Maw. Let's check into that. You go to Maldraxxus because Maldraxxus attacked Bastion. Let's look into that. You go to uh, I want to say, why do I want to say the afterlife? That's Ardenwald. not the right word. Ardenwell, thank you. Uh, you go to Ardenwell because the Primus's message includes, you know, it's sent addressed to among other people, the Winter Queen. So you go talk to her. The reason you go to Revendreth is again, she says, well, we have to tell Denathrius he's the best guy for Anima. He'd know what to do. So 
we're we're led to these places because there are beings in charge of them that are important for the the overall story. There are other places, and there are many, many, many souls. Your most beings you meet are going to just be random Joe. I mean, and you you know you haven't run into like you've we've run into the Winter Queen. You're certainly not more powerful than she is. You're probably not more powerful than the Primus was. You're probably not more powerful than the Archon or Denathrius. I mean, it takes a group of like twenty of us to take Denathrius down. It's much in the same ways. How is it we managed to beat Ragnaros? You know, he's a mere, you're a mere mortal. He's an elemental being of pure fire. How did we beat him? Because it's a game and that's what you do, but also <laughs> because we're capable of doing more. The, the whole weird thing about mortality in the, in the World of Warcraft setting is that it comes with the potential to be more powerful than anything else because it can choose its own role. Yeah, and that that's like a really long-term lesson that we've been experiencing for pretty much since since the game's been around. It's think back to the the Algonon speech, right? Like when you defeat him, when you're fighting him, it's the whole, you know, oh wow, that was not expected. You weren't doing this exact thing that you were originally created for. Maybe you can't do have this potential to, you know, think outside and live outside this little box that everything was trying to put you into. Everything has been about ordering of the universe, even the afterlife, even in Shadowlands. We talk about the machinery of death. We talk about the machinery of death because that's what it was built to do. That's what it was ordered to do. These souls had a cycle. These beings that preside over it have a particular uh, set of influence. They have very specific spheres of influence and spheres of knowledge, and they have a specialty. And they all have to work together in order to make that machine work in the way that it's supposed to. Uh, We don't. We don't have a set role. We don't have constraints like that. We can do whatever. We are, in a way, like we've talked about this in the past, we're touched by the light and the void in that way where we're not restricted to one possibility. We're not restricted to one role. We can pivot. We can adapt. We can overcome. And that's a big thing. And it's a little tropey, but even outside of like a video game framework, that's where heroes are sort of... Uh, that's a common thing for like movies and books and comic books. The heroes can do what they need to do because they're not, they don't fit that particular mold. Right. Um, It's, it's a thing. It's a thing that we as, as mortals are capable of that these other beings aren't. And that's sort of our power. That's our superpower. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that one before we move on to the second question. I mean, I was just going to make the point that it's similar to what we see in uh, Diablo three. Oh, yeah. With the Nephilim, where the reason the Nephilim are so powerful is they're neither angels nor demons, and thus they have the potential to surpass either, because they can they can do things that are, you know, far more beneficial and noble than any demon could conceive of, and they can do things as horrible and disgusting that angels wouldn't even know what to, how to touch it. The potential for both is within us. It's That's what the World of Warcraft thing is similar in that it's, you know... Each of these primordial forces affects the cosmos entire, but the cosmos entire is made up of all of them. Us mortal beings are made up of all of them. We're not limited. You know, we, we live, we die. We have the light and the void. We have fell and arcane. These, these are all forces that touch us and that we can affect. We, we don't have a limit other than the limits we choose to accept. And that's a choice even there. So I would say that that's, that's got a lot to do with it as well. Where beings that you meet in the Shadowlands are either just dead people and thus not necessarily more powerful than you in the first place, or secondly, they're, they're not beings at all. They're personifications of forces. Either way, we, we kind of have it all. We have an advantage in that way. 
Uh, I definitely agree with that. The second question uh, is, for an afterlife, Shadowlands seems a bit too material. Flora, fauna, sky, clouds. What's up with that? The vast majority of afterlives imagined throughout human, human history are exactly like that. Mm-hmm. The Elysian Fields, the Realm of Hades, Hell, uh, Niflheim, Valhalla. These are places, real places with food and drink. And like, if you read um, one of my favorite books is the Odyssey, the uh, the poem by Homer. In it, at one point, uh, Odysseus goes down into the afterlife, and it's a place where these the shades of the dead are wandering around, and you can talk to them if you provide them with something. Like there's a river of blood that they have to drink from in order to be able to talk to you. And at one point, you know, he talks to Achilles and Achilles makes the point, you know, I'd rather be uh, a peasant living in a field than be a king among the, among the numerous dead. And that's the whole, I, the concept was that there was a realm of the afterlife. It was a place you went. So this is, you know, we have a different conception now because we kind of have this weird hallmark version of the Christian heaven going around. Mm-hmm. That's generally what most people think of when they think of the afterlife. But if you actually look, look at the Bible, there, there's... We, we never get an image of what you get. There's no conception of what happens after. You just know that you will be seated at the right hand of the Father. That's it. There's there's no you know fluffy clouds, big gates. All that's popular consciousness. That's not in the, the religion. And the previous religions that we used to build our understanding of and our idea of what an afterlife would be like all treated it as a place, like the lands of the West in Celtic mythology, uh, Avalon in King Arthur. They're places you go. So this is, if anything, this is a very classic representation, more so than I was expecting. Like if you've if you've played the game Hades, you kind of you'll start to get a sense of what I was kind of thinking we'd be getting, like like an actual Hadean afterlife. That's kind of what I thought. And then there'd be like one that was more like Elysium, and there'd be one that was more like. And instead, we're kind of getting polyglot uh, jammed together ones, which is fine by me. But that concept of the afterlife as a physical place you can go, not new. And it's very much what they're drawing on here. And not only that, but like if it, we're story-wise in just the the confines of the game, we still don't know like what the first ones when they ordered the Shadowlands, where they came from, and why they modeled it to be specific like this. Because when you're doing like the Ardenwell stuff and you talk with, uh, I think it's Moonberry. Um, pretty sure it's Moonberry. And Moonberry tells you the story of the queen waking up and walking through Ardenweald. There's already life there. There's already wildlife. There's already flora and fauna. It's already been built. So the question is, why did the the first ones do that? Why, when they ordered everything, did they create that? I think it was in just terms of the game, each of these specific realms is an ecosystem. It is a ecosystem with a very specific purpose. And even those that wildlife is there for fulfillment of that purpose um, in some capacity, depending on the realm. And there, there's arguments to be made um, about it otherwise. But like in Bastion, you're testing yourself against some of that wildlife. Uh, there's a certain amount of like heroic, uh, poetic 
Ness to it where you feel like a hero of old and that's what these aspirants are doing when they're trying to prove themselves and cleanse themselves and accomplish these tasks well if you don't have tasks to accomplish how do you prove yourself uh in Ardenweld it's all part of that ecosystem of bringing things back to life uh there's water there there are things that clean the water there's plants there there are things that tend to the plants uh there are insects there there are things that you know interact with that sort of whole cycle of life uh because again that fits in with what that realm was supposed to do which is shelter souls and be part of that cycle of rebirth um even Revendreth, like Revendreth is all about sort of like this, I don't want to say death and decay, but it's this cleansing of one's sins, right? So you have the vampires that eat the sins, the, the classic sin eaters, which is not a new concept. Uh, then you have this sort of aristocracy that was born up around it and they needed servants. So they created servants. And with that aristocracy comes sort of these ideas of boredom and hunting and doing things to sort of perceive that. But even the wildlife fits into that cycle where one of the quests you do as you're going through there is you take the huntsman from uh, the Scarlet Crusade. I can't remember what his name is now. Um, but there oh, are Thomas Thompson. Thank you. Uh, when you take him through, you're scaring him with the Gorgons, which are basically giant dog bears. Uh, you're using that wildlife to make him pay for his sins, to break him down, to make him repent. So, like, even the wildlife in Revendreth serve that purpose of trying to get people to release their sins and become clean so that they can move on or move on to the Maw if they can't be cleansed. Like, that's what these are built for. And because everything that you're doing with all these souls are mortal souls... I think that the creation of something with animals and plants and land is in a way so that their brains can kind of, or, or their essences, their consciousness can make heads or tails of it. Imagine you are being told to repent for your sins, but you're in a white void, right? What does that mean to you? What does that mean? What is What bearing does it have? What point of reference do you have to conceptualize the releasing of your sins? Whereas being chained and put into a cage is something that most sentient beings across the cosmos can understand. They understand what it's like to be restrained and imprisoned. Uh, they understand what that is like. In Ardenweld, they understand what it's like to tend gardens and toil for the land. Like These are concepts that are used to let mortal souls reconcile what's happening to them in order to process and proceed through this cycle. And I think that's, that's sort of like contained within the story that's the purpose that's why those things are there so but i think matt's also right that this is probably a, the most interesting interpretation that i think we could have had as far as afterlife goes because i was not expecting uh what we got uh and then we do have one last question here from Luluna. uh how do you think the citizens of azeroth would react if they knew uh afterlife is more of the same with work fear and anxiety mm, i don't know well i mean let me put you this way I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed Valhalla lately, um, which is a game where you play a Viking. Vikings believed that. Like, you either got the good one, good afterlife where you got more of the same in that you were a, a marauding warrior who would be doing that. You know, we're going to be fighting all day and drinking and feasting all night. That was what they did the, most of their lives. That was what they were trying to do, and they'd get more of that. If they, you know, died, if they died the way Odin wanted people to die... They, if their hand was on their weapon and they they died, you know, went out fighting, they'd go to Valhalla. 
and they that's exactly what Valhalla was. And if you didn't, you'd end up in some place like hell in Niflheim, where you'd basically live a life of toil, which is what you lived anyway. People that people have believed that kind of thing. Even the Greeks, the Greeks believed that the you know afterlife was basically a it's a dry, horrible place because you're not alive anymore, and being alive is better. Or you were one of the lucky few who got to go to some place like Elysium and got a kind of paradise. But either way, it was more of the same. That was the way people viewed death. It's quite possible that's what the people of Azeroth believe right now. Um, one thing the game has not been really tremendous about is actually giving you any idea what the Church of Light teaches the average guy or what the Church of Elune teaches people. Like, I don't know what the average night elf believes happen when you die because that's never come up. Like these are the kind of things you start thinking about, and you're like, "Huh." Come to think of it, what what do trolls seem to think that your spirit hangs around? Like a lot of people in Azeroth are animistic. Orcs are animistic. Trolls are animistic. They would tend to believe that your spirit hangs around. I mean, night elves night elves have a basis for that because of wisps. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but for that matter, I mean, Torin, uh, Bane feels like he can go out and talk to his dad, and his dad can respond, and had it has actually happened to him. He has seen his father's spirit. So. I don't know that they'd really be all that put out. Like throughout actual history, people have believed that kind of thing and lived their entire lives believing that kind of thing. I, I think so. I think there's something also to be said about the the level of just ancestor worship that's around, even at the human level, right? Like, I mean, there, there's a certain amount of that. There's a certain amount of belief that like there's an afterlife where the human soul exists. Um, why can't I think of his name now? Uh, when Anduin's porter died. Um, what's his name? Oh, I know you're talking about Billy or Willie or something. It's like Wilfred or yeah. I I apologize for those at home. Too many names to, to remember after 16 years of this game. Plus, um, when he dies, one of the things he truly believes is that he's going to see his wife again. Like that's what he believes. It's one of the statements he makes. Um, so there's obviously some level of that in the society of humans that they believe that there is an afterlife where, you know, at least partially some standard of this person still exists. So very clearly. Will they, Benton. Thank you. Um, so there's something there to that, right? Um, the level of ancestor worship with all the shamanistic uh, religions that are out there, shamanistic races that are out there, it leans towards sort of an acceptance that there is an afterlife where these spirits reside. Um, think about orcs who uh, looking at like where literally they could go and see their ancestor. Um at one point in time, like there was a whole thing about that. Uh, then there's a whole Ashigan thing. Like there's, there's a ton of precedent for a lot of these races to accept that there is an afterlife in which it's more of the same. Um, and I think that is just kind of part and parcel with it. So I don't know if there's anything else really to say about that besides I think they'd be fine with it. I think it wouldn't be that big of a deal if, if we came back a confirmation and said, hey, we got to the other side and like they got farmers and animal tamers and there's like cities and stuff like that it's it's okay like i think people will be like oh yeah we are kind of already expected that because i think there's a certain level of that already baked in uh anything else to add to that no i don't think so all right uh our next question comes from uthos hello friends uh, I have a slight issue with the current covenant system, specifically when it deals with shaman. Uh, I have two mains, an alliance priest and a maghar shaman. 
I do not think the whole ancestor reference, the Torn and Orcs practice, is representative in the Shadowlands as it is right now. Please feel free to correct me. Uh, specifically regarding my, my character, I can't think of a reason he would join any of the Four Covenants. Regarding IP, he would not be interested in the Wild Gods or Tyrande story, Uther or Bastion, or some Blood Elf Prince. He really wouldn't have known this Draco or been interested in all of the disgusting thing Maldraxxus. He went Venthyr purely because I really like the Soul Harvest ability, but can easily be RP'd in order to help punish the deserving, but I'm finding that he might turn into a dark shaman as a result in the long run, but we'll see. I figured you may appreciate this intersection of lore and shaman, which is so fascinating and diverse, and should really get delved into a bit more. Thank you so much for all you do. Uh, so yeah, that's something I've heard from a lot of people who are very heavy into the RP for their characters, so I'll let you go first if you have anything to add, uh, say about any of that. No, 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 you uh, will not. <laughs> You will talk now. This is a shaman. Yeah. Question. Okay. So shamanism is, is a little bit, I don't want to say weird in terms of the Shadowlands, but I'm going to point out the same thing that I've been pointing out since we were in beta. Uh, it's that we haven't seen everything of the Shadowlands yet. Uh, we know that there are places that exist where the souls can go, uh, where people go when they die. That is sort of, I don't want to say a-okay, but it's it's fine. Like, it's they exist. Samdi talks about this in when you're doing the other side. Like, Moezala is literally badgering him, trying and torturing him, trying to get him to tell him where he has hidden all of his followers' souls. They exist somewhere. Uh, there's room for that ancestor worship to exist. We haven't seen a Draenei afterlife. We haven't seen uh, an orc-specific afterlife. Uh, they could exist. That vision that Boam Samdi gave to Zappy Boy might be based off of reality or how things actually are. But also, one thing that's present in the game is that at some point, your ancestors don't respond to you they're not guaranteed to always respond to you and that's established as early as wrath of the lich king when we start really delving into shamanism and the ancestor worship and how that sort of works um and even like baked into the abilities back then there used to be a, a talent and i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head that would randomly summon a, an ancestor to come and uh, heal your ally for a certain period of time and it was in the flavor text that it might not be the same ancestor every time. So there's a certain understanding that even if you are communicating with your ancestor, or even if you are worshiping them, even if you are summoning them forth, at some point, that's just going to end. Uh, it's to be expected. It's the sort of like, yeah, they have a life. They can go on, or they have a life after after this life. They have things well, that happen, or we don't know what's going to happen to them. Cold, plus, so. I mean, we do know that it, there's a group of beings in, in the afterlife whose job it is to find souls and, and ferry them to the Arbiter, mm -hmm. which implies that they have to look for them, which implies that the reason your ancestor was able to respond to you for the first few months was that they didn't get found yet. But as more time passes the odds of them getting sorted into the Slytherin or whatever end up, you know, end of house they're going to end up in. I'm sorry, but that's what it reminds me of, uh, is pretty big. Eventually they'll get found and get put into the place they're supposed to go. So of course they're not responding to you anymore. They're now, you know, they, if they went to Maldraxxus, they get to retain their identity, but if they go to, if they go to Bastion, forget it, you know? And if they went to Revendreth, ee. uh, but you know, if they went to, uh, Ardenweald, maybe they got a really good chance being able to talk to you again. 
because you know it's not like they're gonna sure maybe they'll be a bunny now but they're still basically them like we know that vault one of them vault i volcor is that his name i think so the night off he, he got turned into a bear and he's perfectly happy with that because he had that bear that he loved you know so yeah i i think that there's a possibility that you know it, it works one of the things that i i keep coming on the idea that you know we're looking at the shadowlands as people who are physically traveling there, which almost never happens. You walking around Bastion in your physical body is unnatural. It does not happen. You are to Bastion what an undead is to you. Mm-hmm. You are a you are a living thing in a place where living things aren't, and you're walking around alive in this place where everybody is dead. And that means you are seeing it differently than you would be seeing it if you were interfacing with it as a shaman, reaching into it to speak to your ancestors. You would be interpreting what you're seeing through the lens of your beliefs and values. And your ancestors would have no reason to say, oh, well, this is really a big glowing place and I'm an angel person now. Uh, For one thing, maybe they aren't. Maybe they're from someplace else. Maybe they're in some other Shadowland. For another thing, you're not going to be perceiving it. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you're not seeing it the way you are as a character going there right now. That whole point of the veil between Sh- the Shadowlands and Azeroth and like the living world is to protect both. And that veil has been torn asunder and you're looking at it in a perspective that you were not supposed to have. So I don't think that it ne- it's necessary for there to be a afterlife that is specifically like, look at our totems. Hey, everybody's an ancestor. I think that you would basically be dealing with Keep in mind, there's a lot of the Shadowlands that is the near Shadowlands. It's not one of these realms. It's a it's the near Shadowlands where you go when you're dead and no one has sorted you out yet. Mm-hmm. You haven't been found yet. Your spirit healer hasn't come along. You haven't been grabbed by a Valkyr, uh, a Valkyr or a Kyrian. You're still there and you're just kind of like, oh, I'm dead. I guess sooner or later someone's going to come along and take me where I'm supposed to go. But in the meantime, my, my grandkid's sad. I'll, I'll have a chat with him. No, it'll be fine. No, you'll you'll... You'll grow up and become very strong like your father and I were. Trust me, everything's great. Oh, you know, I'm still here. I guess I can talk to him again. Oh, no, here comes my ride. Sorry. You know, there's there's a lot to this that, that we are seeing now in a perspective we would never see it before. And it's also entirely possible, like speaking of like the Kyrians in particular, there's a certain trans-dimensionality to them uh, as we see with, uh, what is it, Devos uh, and Uther when they go back to Azeroth to claim the Lich King's soul to claim Arthas's soul. Like they're able to cross that barrier. There's probably, it's probably safe to make the assumption, or at least it's not too far of a leap that they could probably go to other realms of the Shadowlands without too much of a issue. That's probably their function. Like you pointed out, they're seekers. They're, they try to find souls. Well, if they're looking for certain souls or certain quality of souls to make things work in their particular, you know, four realm cycle, you know, that orc dude could be chilling in his version of Elysium, tending his farm, uh, but because he was a great warrior in life and, you know, maybe Maldraxxus needs more warriors, next thing you know, the Carrion are on like, oh, that's a powerful soul. Oh, look, soul of a warrior. Yeah, this will work. So give him to the Arbiter. We don't know how that all worked before because everything is in disarray by the time we get there. Um, but again, going back to the other part of your question the RP aspect of it, I totally understand, and I've talked about this a lot too, where 
and, and, and Matt's much the same way in that we have a very particular story in our mind for our characters that we play. As a matter of fact, I have 16 years of little stories written for my main character, Loader, as, as far as like how things have progressed, like including his race changes, what happens when, you know, your soul gets shoved into another body, because to me, that's what made sense at the time. Um how that all worked out, particularly around like Wrath of the Lich King is when I really started getting into it. But I also think that it makes a big difference on what your mindset is, your character. Like for me, Loder is a healer. That's always been his primary function ever since he started in World of Warcraft. It was healing the wounded, tending to those around him, trying to make things whole and mend. And that makes sense for me in terms of putting him in Ardenweld because that's a lot of what that is. It's taking these these souls, taking these uh, living beings that have passed on and need to be nurtured and healed and made whole again so that they can go back and be reborn. So for me, that makes sense. It might not make sense for you if you're an enhancement shaman. You just want to, I, I don't know what your character's motivation is. I don't, it, it all depends. And it's a very deeply personal choice. But I can completely understand not feeling like you truly fit in with any of those four covenants. But then there's that other side of it where your character is being thrust into the hero or in the role of the hero for these four realms to fix their problems. And you're not necessarily maybe choosing one to join as this is now my identity. It's I think this cause is worthy enough for my attention. And I have some of the people I've talked with that have struggled with this choice. That's one of the things that they've helped reconcile is, yeah, I don't identify with any of these four places, but I think their mission statement is probably the best out of all the ones. And so I can lend them my attention to make sure that they function again. Um, but it's a very deeply personal choice, especially in terms of RP and the story of your character. Uh, and I understand that sometimes when you're limited or feel you're limited to a certain number of choices, it can be daunting isn't really the word, but almost I want to say it almost feels unfulfilling. It's intimidating. No, I'll straight up say yeah. it. I will say this okay. because I've been having this problem. I'm very, I'm very intimidated by Shadowlands' endgame to the point where I got my character to 60 and I immediately stopped playing him and started playing a different character. I don't want to make this choice. I don't want to deal with it. Um, I don't want to deal with the the, the different endgame systems. And we'll talk more about this on the actual podcast, the, the one where we talk about non-lore stuff, because it's something. But just in terms of story... It is daunting to suddenly have the, you you deal with these cosmically powerful entities and the edifices they set up, and now you have to pick one to go through, and you, the other three you're you, you're persona non grata with them now. They don't like you, and it's like whoa, okay, like that's that's really that's hard. Mm -hmm. And if it, if it is hard for you, that's not you're not wrong to be. Yeah, I don't really. I need a hook for this. What am I doing here? I, I totally do feel that way. I, I to the point where I have refused to do it. Like I'm working on my next character to get to 60, and th then I'll move on to the another one, and I'm going to get them all to 60 before I pick a covenant for any of them, because <laughs> it's like ah, I, I don't want to deal with it. So I'm getting to see the uh, the leveling story a lot, but I'm not getting to do any of the end game stuff, and I feel like that was kind of a mistake on Blizzard's part, like making it that daunting. I get why they did it, but for me, it's 
definitely been a problem. Yeah, and and if you feel like that and you feel overwhelmed by those choices or you feel unfulfilled, it's totally understandable. Like we're not I want to make it clear that we're not trying to take any of that away from anybody because it is completely valid. Uh, and that's always going to be the problem when you come into an expansion like this that sort of filters everything down to uh, four broad umbrella choices, right? Uh, there's always going to be a level of that for certain players. So if you feel like that, I'm sorry. Um, I hope that you find something in the story or in the covenants as the story progresses. Because don't forget, the the story of the covenants does progress and does evolve as you move through the renown levels. It gets more complicated. It gets more deep and more things are revealed to you. Like in Ardenweld, I just did the stuff with Blom Somdi. Uh, and again, mild spoilers for that stuff, but it started adding different light to different sections of Ardenweld and what Ardenweld actually does. Uh, it started adding more insight into the interactions with the Winter Queen and, and how she handles things and views things and, and does things, uh, as well as the individuals that exist in the Wild Hunt uh, and some of those spirits that we interact with. And as your story progresses, your view may change. The only thing I will say is keep an open mind as you're moving through it a little bit and see if maybe it does fit. And if it doesn't, there are mechanics in place. I believe they're already live um, for changing your covenant. So if you feel like it's not the right fit for you anymore, there is something in game to allow players to make a change which I think is important, especially in particular with this case. Uh, and that could be its own level of daunting, but just bear that in mind. If you get, you know, partway through Revendreth and you feel like it no longer fits your RP, you do have an opportunity to change and catch up and do something with a different covenant. So hopefully that helps you out there. And uh, yeah, I think we'll move on to the next one here. Uh, so this one, uh, hey, Lore Watchers, I was doing the T-Tales world quest with Lost Sibylle in Revendreth when I noticed a few of her crazy rhyming lines were interesting. She seems to be aware of some of the events that occurred in the Afterlife shorts. In particular, she says, Oath or Growth, both, 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 which sounds a lot like Aralon's dilemma in Ardenweld. Also, she says, Flaw the Law, Saw the Maw, which clearly, which is clearly Uther and Devos deciding to go rogue and chuck Arthas into the Maw. I couldn't tell if any of the other babble seemed relevant, but I did notice she said, Twin Kin, Lynch Pin, which sounds very intriguing, but I have no idea what that might be referring to. Any thoughts? Is she prophetic or is Blizzard just teasing us? And this is from Underbath. Uh, there's a certain level of teasing out there, I think, because Blizzard loves doing that. I see you guys, uh, especially when it comes to stuff like that. But for me, I thought it was interesting because Lost Sibley hangs out in basically what is the equivalent of a sanitarium inside of Revendreth, uh, inside of the, the burned ward or whatever. I can't remember what it's called. Burn scarred ward, light ward. Um, I find it fascinating because there's often this sort of trope of where the insane person has an incredible level of insight, uh, and maybe more knowledge than they possibly could. And it's also something we've seen done a few times throughout uh, Azeroth's history, where the more knowledge that they have, the more uh, insight into what's happening, the crazier they are. I mean, that's part of the Void's whole gig, right? Show all the possibilities, show all the information, drive the person insane. Uh, that's kind of a thing that we've been dealing with. But as far as the the twin kin linchpin, 
I don't know what that could possibly be referring to. Um, do you have any ideas what that might be? She says her sister's pet. So do you think that Elune and the Winter Queen are the linchpins of keeping the two realms... Elune or whoever else it is. We don't know who the sister is just Or yet. A&R. Or... Yeah, but if it is Elune, uh, I think that they might be twins in much the same way that... One of the things we, we you know, we've talked about the, the, the aspect of the moon, how the moon goes through phases, how the moon changes. One of the things moons do is they aren't always there. There, you know, there's the new moon where the moon is hidden by the shadow of the planet. Essentially, it feels like you could have you. There's one possibility would be to have the Winter Queen as the the reflection of the you know what Elune manifests, what Elune brings to the living world. The Winter Queen is her opposite, her shadow, her reflection, and that could be one possibility that they would basically be the equal and opposite to each other, and the fact that. The Winter Queen is having problems in the Shadowlands is affecting Elune. Like, she, you know, she can't really do her her function if the function of the other is disturbed. If beings aren't coming back from the Shadowlands when they're supposed to, then the Emerald Dream would be affected by this. Like, if, if these various figures who are supposed to return and be part of the Emerald Dream again aren't because they're, you know, because of what's happening in the Shadowlands. For one example, Ursok is never going to come back now. And that means the Shadowlands no longer has, I mean, the, the Emerald Dream no longer has Ursoc to protect it. And that's happened multiple times now. Beings are not returning. What What is the effect of that? The linchpin could very well be pulled out. So I think that's one possibility. I don't know that that's what that's referring to. It's just this one thing I'm speculating on. Yeah, and it's entirely possible. It's. I think there will be something that comes from it, at least later on, because I think we see things... Uh, in interesting in weird ways as far as like our interactions with the world. Um, but it is again, because Sibley, the other thing that I find interesting is Sibley lives in a light drenched area. And I'm wondering if that plays a part in sort of how she's getting that information. Because one of the things that I thought of when I first met her is, yeah, she seems like she's prophetic. Well, who else do we know is prophetic and is drenched in the light Velen, the prophet gets those sort of visions or at least did for a very long time uh and they were gifted to him or at least he felt they were gifted to him by the light well what if sibley has just been drenched in the light so much that she gleans some of that as well and just can't interpret it so there's a possibility that that's what it is and i think in the future we should pay attention to what sibley says because i think that there is probably going to be some important things uh that will get I don't want to say spoiled, but foreshadowed uh, by items that she says. Uh, our next question comes from our friend Roxy. Uh, greetings, watchers. It is I, Roxy, Goblin Shaman from Hydeal US. What are the devourers and where the heck did they come from? They seem to be inv invading every Shadowlands realm. Basically, uh, we don't know for sure. Uh, it's heavily implied, and I think a few NPCs say that they think they come from the in-between, which is kind of like the twisting nether for the Shadowlands. Uh, it's that place you travel between when you go through the portals in Oribos to go to the various other Shadowlands. Um, the Doctor Who, like, you know, you, you know what I were talking about. Apparently, there's beings that live there. And apparently, the Devourers are beings that live there. And apparently, the Anima Drought has meant that there's not a lot of Anima going through there right now. And that's bad for them because they eat Anima. So 
with the anima drought, they're coming forth. It's like it's like if reality had a cupboard behind it, and they're coming busting out because they're not they're used to having lots of delicious crumbs to eat, but the cupboards are bare, so there's no crumbs to eat. So they're coming forth. It's like oh hey, where's my crumbs? Like if you had a cockroach infestation, it was nine feet tall and you know smashed everything around it. Very similar to that. That's kind of what they are, but that's not 100% canon. They've not you know we don't actually ever see them come out of there, and there's no. There's no place in there that we've been to yet that's got devourers on it or anything like that. But that seems to be like at least the few times I've seen that mention that that's where they think they come from. And they're definitely everywhere too. Like even when you start going through Torghast, there are levels in Torghast where there's a ton of them, uh, and they seem to be fighting or at odds with uh, the forces of the jailer just as much as they are anything else. Yeah, uh, it's it's easiest to think of them as the cockroaches of the Shadowlands. Yeah, and ordinarily the cockroaches would be fine. There'd be tons of food, but if you ever live in a place when you move out that has a cockroach infestation and it gets emptied out, they come out of the woodwork because there's nothing to eat anymore. Where's the food? It's very similar to that. Absolutely. Uh, Our next question comes from our friend Godzilla, a giant radioactive uh, creature. Howdy, guys. I've returned from the depths of my tin f- with my tinfoil hat and wanted to pick your brains as to why Zolval and Sylvanas went after Thrall and Bane. Going after Jaina, Anduin, and Tyrande is pretty self-explanatory. They are easily amongst the top five powerful mortals on Azeroth. And from the latest cutscene, we see that Zolval wants to weaponize Anduin for his master plan, while Sylvanas is preaching patience. Insert Sylvanas' triple heel face axis turn through, and she'll take care of it. Uh, this also makes sense for Jaina and Tyrande due to their power in the arcane as a night warrior. Though, as we know, Tyrande was able to defend herself and not get captured. But where does that leave Bane and Thrall? As the world shaman Thrall uh, could be on the same tier as Malfurion, Jaina, Anduin, etc., but now he's just an average Joe warrior, i.e. nothing special. Same goes for Bane. Now, before Rossi cleaves me for my blasphemy, what do you think Zoval wanted from Bane and Thrall? Do you think Zoval could have coaxed Thrall back into Mendy's relationship with the elements, or do you think he wanted something more? And what about Bane? What would he bring to Zoval's side? Um, so I have a lot. Well, oh, go ahead. Well, go ahead. You go. So a few weeks ago, I posited that I don't know that Zoval specifically called out these mortals. I think that these were Sylvanas's choice. And I think that when Zoval said, I'm looking for powerful mortals that have a certain quality, or I'm looking for XYZ, bring me those that are powerful. Sylvanas made the choice. And I think that I'm not trying to do like the, the whole triple heel turn face thing, whatever. I think that this is part of her plan. And I think those NPCs were, chosen specifically and i don't think it was because just their power levels i think it has a lot to do with how beloved they are by the respective factions if you think about it thrall we joke that he is like this you know uber beloved like mary sue he kind of is though like people in the horde love him for the most part he's a hero of the Horde. He's one of the people that brought the Horde together in the first place. He's an icon. He's important. If Let any- me put it this way. Thrall can leave for like a couple of expansions and then just swan on back into Orgrimmar and they immediately start doing what he tells exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. That that's like, he's important. If he if he wanted to be Warchief, he'd be Warchief right now. Yeah, and they, it's the fact that he said, I don't want it, that has made that these not happen. And he, it's a, he, the only person who understood that was Sarfang. Sarfang was the only one who was like, I didn't ask. 
Yeah. Yeah. I didn't ask you to come back and take over. We just need you to help us. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 no. It's it's, it's important. It's absolutely important. It's the same thing with Bane, though. Bane's a uniter. Bane is universally loved. Uh, There's not anybody who really hates Bane. Even. Yeah. Let's actually. When he was making. When he became war chief, uh, Vol'jin looked to Bane. Yeah. They all looked to Bane. They just like they looked to Karen before him. Uh, They looked to Bane. Go, go ahead. When he was captured by, by Sylvanas, the Alliance was also going to free Bane. They weren't just going to let him sit there and rot. They were mounting their own rescue mission for him. Why? If he's, he's part actually, of the- yeah, he's part of the Horde. He's a big part of the Horde structure, but he's respected on the other side. He has personal friendships with Anduin and Jaina. Those friendships may be strained, but when Bane found out that Jaina's brother had been you know, taken and used by Sylvanas, what did he do? He went and got the guy and presented him to Jaina, mm-hmm. even though he knew she might kill him. Because it was the, the thing. right there's, thing to do. There's different kinds of power. I'm willing to accept that Taronda could annihilate Bane, although Bane is very physically powerful. Taronda could, could just destroy him. She could like basically wave a hand and destroy him. But he wouldn't be afraid of that, and he wouldn't hide from it. And that's a level of power. That's a kind of power that is very difficult to quantify it isn't a big wave of the light that stops the jailer from putting you in chains but it is the ability to be manhandled and tortured by the jailer and still be fighting at the end of it yep there's there we mustn't forget that the one being in all of creation before illidan to stand up and stop sargeras for even a second was just an orc with an axe yep you know um and that's the thing Thrall, not only was he the world shaman at one point, was he so powerful that the aspects called upon him, but he has that same kind of right or wrong, Thrall is going to fight for what he believes is the right thing to do. Even if it turns out he was wrong, he'd probably apologize. But he'll do, he'll act first. And Bane is even more that. And Bane is that guy whose integrity is so great that even people who hate and want to destroy the Horde will at least listen to him. Yeah, and 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 even when you when you rescue Jaina, the first thing she does after reporting in is go and check on Bane. Like it, it's that's the first thing in her mind. Not I need to go lay down. It's I need to go check on Bane because he's sitting over there by himself and he looks really awful. But look at the other folks that that were picked for that as well. And I'll get to Tron last because I think she's the most interesting out of them. But on the Alliance side, Anduin, he's much the same thing. He wants to unite people. He's a healer at first and foremost. He's beloved by most people. He's not like if if Greymane was taken a lot of people probably wouldn't care because he's a giant worgen monster man who has been known to have a massive temper. Do you think most of the Alliance would care if he goes missing? Probably not. Anduin, on the other hand? Oh, you bet your your bottom dollar that uh, he goes missing. People are going to care. It's the same thing with Jaina. It's not that she's super powerful magically. She is. She, she might be one of the most powerful arcane beings left on Azeroth right now. Uh, in, you know, up to the upper echelons, maybe slightly below Azara. But the point remains, people love her. They feel for her. That she was there for the Alliance at several of their darkest moments. She's an icon. She's a beacon of hope. Uh, look at the battle for Lordaeron. Who sweeps in and saves the day? It's her. Who raises the massive dead from and in and, and a giant protective bubble at that battle? Anduin. They're icons. They're important people that are beacons and symbols 
of their respective faction. If they go missing, people care. And again, Jaina has friends on the other side. Jaina is respected by several of the folks uh, that are in leadership of the Horde, as is Anduin. They're going to care. And then you have Tehran. Now, I think she's the most interesting one because I don't think she was sent after specifically for any of those reasons above, but I think it was because she was being played in a very specific manner. I don't think there was any expectations that the Maw Sworn would be able to take her, not with the power of the Night Warrior. Don't forget, Sylvanas is an elf, or at least was an elf. She probably heard some stories about that in the past. She's not stupid. And to see what Tehran has become, the power that she is wielding, uh, short of going for her herself, yeah. I mean, Tehran takes out her most trusted lieutenant, her general, whatever you want to call him. Undead boyfriend goes down to her hand. That was expected. And he is probably the second most powerful combatant under her control, besides herself, as far as I can I gather. No, it was to make her angry. It was to draw her in, to make her want nothing more than to follow her even more for her transgressions uh, that Sylvanas has caused than she already was. It was a statement that Tyrande could not ignore. It was the breadcrumb. Because don't forget, before that happens, Tyrande's hunting for Sylvanas, hunting for the sign of her, trying to find a way to her. And then she goes to the Shadowlands. It's told that she's in the Shadowlands. And then all of a sudden, we're opening a gate to the Shadowlands. And the first thing Tehran does is what? Jump in before we even go through. That's intentional. Every choice was intentional, and I think it was Sylvanas. And I think it plays into a part of whatever plan she's got going. I don't think Zoval made the choices. I think he just said, I want powerful mortals. I want people from the realm of the living that have power. And these just all happen to be powerful in different ways, uh, but not least in much, or at least as such as being icons and paragons for their people. And then one who is that, but can be played to uh, basically feed into her anger and her vengeance to get her where she wants to go. Because don't forget, uh, if you've done anything with the Night Warrior stuff in Ardenweld, one of the things you're, you do is with Chandris, you go into Torghast to find uh, Tyrande. And she's laying, laying waste to everything. And I mean everything. You're following a trail of bodies. And not just like little piddly shit soldiers uh, of, of the mob, of the, the jailer. We're talking like giant lieutenants, those big creatures you face in Torghast. They're dead. They've been eviscerated by Tyrande. Like she's wreaking havoc, but she's in Torghast. She's being tormented by herself. She's doing the tormenting. It takes Chandris begging her to stop killing you if you're Horde to get her to stop trying to kill you as Horde. And even then she says, okay, I'll see you later and goes off deeper into Torghast. Like she's doing exactly what somebody wants her to do. And I don't think it's what we all expect. I think this is all part of that giant plan. Sorry, I've said a lot on that. What do you got? What, what do you have to add on anything? Any of that? <laughs> I mean, I think, like I've said, I don't think it's power here. I don't think the quality he's looking for is power. I don't think he told anyone to get him powerful people. I don't think it's their power that's important. It's them. It's the the aspects of mortality they represent. The people they are. You, you know, we know that the uh, 
the jailer tormented the ones he got his hands on. But he, and Thrall even says, it's like he was looking for something, but he wouldn't tell us what he wanted. Like he's looking for a quality or an essence or an aspect. He doesn't even, he doesn't deign to tell them what it is he's looking for. He doesn't care about them. He cares about this thing he's looking And that's, that's the aspect. That's what he gets at the end. When you leave, that was what he was looking for. He even says, now I know exactly, I have exactly what I was looking for. And it was like, you've lost. And he's like, no, I haven't. Are you kidding? That was, that was my triumph. Thank you. You know, that was, thanks for making it happen. I appreciate it. That's what he was looking for. He wants out and he's looking for a way to get out. And he finally found somebody who could get out and it's a mortal being. The Maw holds the dead. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily hold the living. We can come and go from it because we're, you know, the whole Maw Walker thing. We're living beings. Maw isn't designed to hold us. He finally found one that could make the, the first one's gate work. He found one that could do it. It wasn't any of the ones that were brought to him, but it was one that came in to get the ones brought to him. There's This is exactly what he wanted, and I don't think those people were selected for... If, if, the, if the jailer actually said, bring me X people, he didn't say it because he was looking for ones who could blow up the most stuff. It's not power. It never was. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, but I think we're out of time. There's so many more good questions that we have not gotten to. Don't worry, folks. We will get to them. Uh, keep them coming, though. If you have questions for this show or the other one, again, be sure to send them into the podcast at blizzardwatch.com or through our Discord channels where there are several of them. And don't forget that Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Uh, and I'm going to end today with a, a final request out there. Um, with the nature of this expansion being that Every covenant seems to have its own story that is progressing and that experiencing all that story is quite a bit time consuming. If you run across interesting tidbits as you're running through there, please don't hesitate to send those in to us as well. Uh, I am particularly interested in story beats and the other covenants uh, that might not be something that we I get to experience because I've chosen Ardenweld uh, or, or what the case may be. So please include those as well as just your questions. And as well, if you find any interesting Easter eggs or references uh, that are, are intriguing to you, send them our way as well. I'd be interested in see them. Uh, but that's all I have for you this week. Thank you very much for continuing to support us and your continued support and listening to our show. Uh, and we will see you next week. Pumpkins. Pumpkins.